Chapter Two of My Trip Abroad by Charlie Chaplin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Off to Europe. Next morning there was work to do. My lawyer, Nathan Birkin, had to be seen. There were contracts and other things almost as much a nuisance as interviews but i dare say they are necessary poor old nath i love him but i'm afraid of him his pockets always bulge contracts we could be such good friends if he were not a lawyer and i am sure that there must be times when he is delightful company. I might fire him and then get acquainted. A very dull day with him. Interrupted by phones, invitations, parties, theater tickets sent to me, people asking for jobs, hundreds of letters camouflaged with good wishes and invariably asking favors but i like them calls from many old friends who depress me and many new ones who thrill me i wanted some buckwheat cakes i had to go three blocks to a child's restaurant to get them why doesn't a hotel like the ritz get a chef who knows how to make buckwheat cakes can't they lure one away from the spotlight of the white front still I guess there is a thrill in tossing the batter in the air and catching it, while hungry-looking eyes and flattened noses are pressed against the window. That night I went to see Lilium, the best play in New York at the time, and one which in moments rises to true greatness. It impressed me tremendously, and made me dissatisfied with myself. I don't like being without work. I want to go on the stage. <laughs> Wonder if I could play that part. I went behind the scenes and met young Skildkraut. I was amazed at his beauty and youth. Truly an artist, sincere and simple. And Ava la Gallienne, a charm that is distinctive. I recall no one else on the stage just like her. We renewed our acquaintance made in Los Angeles. I am told that she lives whatever part she is playing, on and off the stage. This is most interesting, but I question its advisability for artistic reasons. But she is a charming artist, and that is the answer. I couldn't do it. I want the relaxation of being myself after the day's work is done. I am after a good dose of that relaxation now. It is not coming so easily. My little mustache and big shoes are glaring trademarks. The next morning provided a delightful treat. Breakfast for me luncheon for the others at the coffee-house club 
a most interesting little place where artists and artisans belong writers actors musicians artists sculptors painters all of them interesting people i go there often whenever i am in new york it was a brilliant party haywood brown frank crowninshield harrison rhodes edward noblock conde nast alexander woolcott but i can't remember all the names i wish all meals were as pleasant i received an invitation to dine with ambassador gerard and then go for a ride in the country the motor broke down as they usually do on such occasions and i had to phone and disappoint i was sorry because i was to meet some brilliant people i had luncheon next day with max eastman one of my best friends he is a radical and a poet and editor of the liberator a charming and sympathetic fellow who thinks all of his doctrines i do not subscribe to but that makes no difference in our friendship we get together argue a bit and then agree to disagree and let it go at that and remain friends he told me of a party that he was giving at his house that evening and i hastened to accept his invitation to attend his home is always interesting his friends likewise oh what a night it was for me i got out of myself my emotions went the gamut of tears to laughter without artificiality it was what i had left los angeles for for that night charlie chaplin seemed very far away and i felt or wanted to feel myself just a simple soul among other souls i was introduced to george an ex-IWW secretary. I suppose he has a last name, but I didn't know it. And it didn't seem to matter when one met George. Here was a real personality. He had a light in his eyes that I have never seen before. A light that must have shone from his soul. He had the look of one who believes he is right and has the courage of his convictions it is a scarce article i learned that he had been sentenced by judge landis to serve twenty years in the penitentiary that he had served two years and was out because of ill health i did not learn the offense it did not seem to matter a dreamer and a poet he became wistfully gay on this hectic night among kindred spirits in a mixed crowd of intellectuals he stood out he was going back to serve eighteen years in the penitentiary and was remaining jovial what an ordeal uh, but ordeal signifies what it would have been for me i don't believe it bothered him i hardly believe he was there he was somewhere else in the place from which that look in his eyes emanated a man whose ideas are ideals 
I pass no opinion. But with such charm one must sympathize. It was an amazing evening. We played charades, and I watched George act. <laughs> it was all sorts of fun. We danced a bit. Then George came in, imitating Woodrow. It was screamingly funny. And he threw himself into the character. Or caricature. Making Wilson seem absurdly ridiculous. We were convulsed with laughter. But all the time I couldn't help thinking that he must go back to the penitentiary for eighteen years. <sighs> what a party. It didn't break up until two in the morning, though clock or calendar didn't get a thought from me. We all played, danced, and acted. No one asked me to walk funny. No one asked me to twirl a cane. If I wanted to do a tragic bit, I did, and so did everyone else. You were a creature of the present, not a production of the past, not a promise of the future. You were accepted as is, sans who's who's labels and income tax records. George asks me about my trip, but he does not interview. He gives me letters to George Bernard Shaw and others. They are great friends. In my puny way, sounding hollow and unconvincing, I try to tell George how foolish he is. He tries to explain that he can't help it. Like all trailblazers, he is a martyr. He does not rant. He blames no one. He does not rail at fate. If he believes himself persecuted, his belief is unspoken. He is almost Christ-like as he explains to me. His viewpoint is beautiful, kind, and tender. I can't imagine what he has done to be sentenced to twenty years. My thought must speak. He believes he is spoiling my party through making me serious. He doesn't want that. He stops talking about himself. Suddenly he runs, grabs a woman's hat, and says, Look, Charlie, I'm Sarah Bernhardt, and goes into a most ridiculous travesty. I laugh. Everyone laughs. George laughs. And he is going back to the penitentiary to spend 18 years of the most wonderful years of his life. I can't stand it. I go out in the garden and gaze up at the stars. It is a wonderful night, and a glorious moon is shining down. I wish there was something I could do for George. I wonder if he is right or wrong. Before long, George joins me. He is sad and reflective, with a sadness of beauty not of regret. He looks at the moon, the stars. He confides, how stupid is the party, any party, compared with the loveliness of the night, the silence that is a universal gift. How few of us enjoy it. 
perhaps because it cannot be bought rich men buy noise souls revel in nature's silences they cannot be denied those who seek them we talk of george's future not of his past nor of his offense can't he escape i try to make him think logically towards regaining his freedom i want to pledge my help he doesn't understand or pretends not to he has not lost anything bars cannot imprison his spirit i beg him to give himself and his life a better chance he smiles don't bother about me charlie you have your work go on making the world laugh yours is a great task and a splendid one don't bother about me we are silent i am choked up i feel a sort of pent-up helplessness i want relief it comes the tears roll down my cheeks and george embraces me there are tears in both our eyes goodbye charlie goodbye george what a party its noise disgusts me now i call my car i go back to the ritz george goes back to the pen chuck reisner who played the big bully in the kid called the next day he wants to go to europe why he doesn't know he is emotional and sensational he is a pugilist and a songwriter a civil soldier of fortune he doesn't like new york and he wants to get back to california at once we have breakfast together it is a delightful meal because it is so different from my usual lonely breakfast chuck goes on at a great rate and succeeds in working up his own emotions until there are tears in his eyes i promise him all sorts of things to get rid of him he knows it and tells me so we understand each other very well i promise him an engagement tell him he can always get a job with me if he doesn't want too much money he is indignant at some press notices that have appeared about me and wants to go down to newspaper row and kill a few reporters he always has a chip on his shoulders wherever i am concerned he fathers mothers me in his rough way we talk about everyone's ingratitude for what he and i have done for people we have a mutual admiration convention why aren't we appreciated more we are both sour on the world and its hypocrisies it's a great little game panning the world so long as you don't let your sessions get too long or too serious i chased chuck before that time i had a luncheon engagement at the coffee-house club with frank crowninshield and we talked over the arrangements of a dinner which i am giving to a few intimate friends 
Frank is my social mentor, though I care little about society and the general acceptance of the term. We arranged for the table at the Elysee Café, and it was to be a mixed party. Among the guests were Max Eastman, Harrison Rhodes, Edward Knobloch, Madame Maeterlinck, Alexander Woolcott, Douglas Fairbanks and Mary, Haywood Braun, Rita Wyman, and Nisa McMain, a most charming girl for whom I am posing. Frank Harris and Waldo Frank were invited, but were unable to attend. Perhaps there were others, but I can't remember, and I am sure they will forgive me if I have neglected to mention them. I am always confused about parties and arrangements. The last minute sets me wild. I am a very bad organizer. I am always leaving everything until the last minute. And as a rule, no one shows up. This is the exception. For on this occasion, everyone did turn up. And it started off like most parties. Everybody was stiff and formal. I felt a terrible failure as a host. But in spite of Mr. Volstead, there was a bit of golden water to be had, and it saved the day. What a blessing at times. I had been worried since sending the invitations. I wondered how Max Eastman would mix with the others. But I was soon put at ease, because Max is clever and is just as desirous of having a good time as anyone, in spite of intellectual differences. That night, he seemed the necessary ingredient to make the party. The fizzwater must have something of the sort of thing that old Ponce de Leon sought. Certainly it made us feel very young. Back to children, we leaped for the night. There were games, music, dancing, and no wallflowers. Everyone participated. We began playing charades, and Doug and Mary showed us some clever acting. They both got on top of a table and made believe he was the conductor of a trolley car, and she was the passenger. After an orgy of calling out stations en route, the conductor came along to the passenger and collected her fare. Then they both began dancing around the floor, explaining that they were a couple of fairies dancing along on the side of a brook, picking flowers. Soon Mary fell in, and Douglas plunged in after her and pulled her up on the banks of the brook. That was their problem, and guess though we would, we could not solve it. They gave the answer, finally. Oh, it was fair, Banks. <sighs> then we sang, and in Italian, at least it passed for that, I acted with Madame Maeterlinck, we played a burlesque on the great dying scene of Camille, but we gave it a touch that Dumas overlooked. When she coughed, 
I caught the disease immediately and was soon taken with convulsions and died instead of Camille. We sang some more, we danced, we got up and made impromptu speeches on any given subject. None were about the party, but on subjects like political economy, the fur trade, feminism. Each one would try to talk intelligently and seriously on a given subject for one minute. My subject was the fur trade. I prefaced my talk by references to cats, rabbits, etc., and finished up by diagnosing the political situation in Russia. For me, the party was a great success. I succeeded in forgetting myself for a while. I hope the rest of them managed to do the same. From the cafe, the party went over to a little girl's house. She was a friend of Mr. Woolcott. And again we burst forth in music and dancing. We made a complete evening of it, and I went to bed tired and exhausted about five in the morning. I want a long sleep, but am awakened by my lawyer at nine. He has packages of legal documents and papers for me to sign. My orders about certain personal things of great importance. I have a splitting headache. My boat is sailing at noon, and altogether, with a lawyer for a companion, it is a hideous day. All through the morning the telephone bell is ringing. Reporters. I listen several times, but it never varies. Mr. Chaplin, why are you going to Europe? To get rid of interviews. I finally shout and hang up the phone. Somehow, with invaluable assistance, we get away from the hotel and are on our way to the dock. My lawyer meets me there. He has come to see me off. I tremble, though, for fear he has more business with me. I am criticized by my lawyer for talking so sharply the first thing in the morning. Uh, that's just it. He always sees me the first thing in the morning. That's what makes me short. But it is too big a moment. Something is stirring within me. I am anxious and reluctant about leaving. My emotions are all mixed. It is a beautiful morning. New York looks much finer and nicer because I am leaving it. I am terribly troubled about passports and the usual procedure about declaring income tax. But my lawyer assures me that he has fixed everything okay and that my name will work a lot of influence with the American officials. But I am very dubious about it when I am met by the American officials at the port. I am terrified by American officials. I am extra nice to the officials, and to my amazement, they are extra nice to me. Everything passes off very easily. As usual, my lawyer was right. He has fixed everything. He is a good lawyer. 
we could be such intimate friends if he wasn't but i am too thrilled to give much time to pitying lawyers i am going to europe the crowds reporters photographers all sorts of traffic pushing shoving opening passports visas okayed stamped and perfect almost chalk-like precision i am shoved aboard the newspaper battery pictorial and reportial there is no original note mr chaplin why are you going to europe i feel that in this last moment i should be a bit more tolerant and pleasant no matter how difficult i bring forth the prop smile again for a vacation i answer then they go through the standard interview form and i try to be obliging mrs john carpenter is on the boat and was invited to my party but couldn't attend with her charming daughter who has the face of an angel also mr edward noblock we are all photographed doug and mary are there lots of people to see me off somehow i don't seem interested in them very much my mind is pretty well occupied i am trying to make conversation but am more interested in the people and the boat and those who are going to travel with me many of the passengers on the boat are bringing their children that i may be introduced i don't mind children i have seen you so many times in the pictures <laughs> i find myself smiling at them graciously and pleasantly especially the children i doubt if i am really sincere in this as it is too early in the morning despite the fact that i love children i find them difficult to meet i feel rather inferior to them most of them have assurance have not yet been cursed with self-consciousness and one has to be very much on his best behavior with children because they detect our insincerity i find there are quite a lot of children on board everyone is so pleasant especially those left behind handkerchiefs are waving the boat is off we start to move the waters are churning am feeling very sad rather regretful think what a nice man my lawyer is we turn around the bend and get into the channel the crowds are but little flies now in this fleeting dramatic moment there comes the feeling of leaving something very dear behind the cameraman and many of his brothers are on board i discover him as i turn around i did not want to discover anyone just then i wanted to be alone with sky and water but i am still charlie chaplin i must be photographed and am we are passing the statue of liberty he asks me to wave and throw kisses which rather annoys me the thing is too obvious 
it offends my sense of sincerity the statue of liberty is thrilling dramatic a glorious symbol i would feel self-conscious and cheap in deliberately waving and throwing kisses at it i will be myself i refuse the incident of the photographic seeker before the statue of liberty upsets me i felt that he was trying to capitalize the statue his request was deliberate insincere it offended me it would have been like calling an audience to witness the placing of flowers upon a grave patriotism is too deep a feeling to depict in the posing for a photograph why are attempts made to parade such emotions i feel glad that i have the courage to refuse as i turn from the photographer i feel a sense of relief i am to have a reprieve from such annoyances reporters for the while are left behind it is a delicious sense of security i am ready for the new adjustment i am in a new world a little city of its own where there are new people people who may be either pleasant or unpleasant and mine is the interesting job of placing them in their proper category i want to explore new lands and i feel that i shall have ample opportunity on such an immense ship the olympic is enormous and i conjure up all sorts of pleasures to be had in its different rooms turkish baths gymnasiums music rooms its ritz carlton restaurant where everything is elaborate and of ornate splendor i find myself looking forward to my evening meal we go to the ritz grill to dine everyone is pleasant i seem to sense the feel of england immediately foreign food a change of system the different bill of fare with money in terms of pounds shillings and pence and the dishes pheasant grouse and wild duck for the first time i feel the elegant gentleman the man of means i ask questions and discover that there are really some very interesting people aboard but i resent anyone telling me about them i want to discover them myself i almost shout when someone tries to read me a passenger list this is a desert island i am going to explore it myself the prospect is intriguing i am three thousand miles from hollywood and three thousand miles from europe for the moment i belong to neither god be praised i am myself it is my little moment of happiness the glorious today that is sandwiched in between the exhausting yesterday of los angeles and the portentous tomorrow of europe for the moment 
I am content. End of chapter two.